C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Welcome everybody, it's another week and it's another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. I got my amigo and writing partner and everything else in life, Pat Picciarelli with us. And we have our millennium who's becoming a star on our own, Megan. How are you doing guys? We're all here and we're very excited to get back with Mike Russell and we thank you Pat for bringing him on. And uh, thank God nobody got to you, Mike. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's been a week, who can say? But we're, we're, we're happy to see him. Yeah, he's back, so I'm saying. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick up where we left off last week. Uh, you put Joe Burke away. You put, uh, who, was a, who was a bank robber, which I understand is like a family business in South right? Uh, actually, armored car robbery. There's more, oh, there's more money in armored cars than there is in banks, yes. Okay. Where was that, in South Florida? <laughs> No, this was Charlestown, Boston. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. <clears throat> there was the Irish, what was left over the Irish mob up there in Charlestown, Boston. Yeah, you know something, Mike? I got to tell you this. My kids in Beverly Hills, who are now in their 20s, they met Uncle Whitey at our Sunday dinners in my house. <laughs> when he was on the lamb, I knew him. So I used to you send know, my driver to pick him up. He's a likable guy. Oh, my God. No, he's the best. But I used to send my driver to pick him up and bring him to my house up on Mulholland Drive. And my little kids, when he got arrested the last time in California, get extradited, my wife went crazy on me. She said, that guy's a killer. You've had him around kids. I said, you're going to kill my kids. Are you crazy? A nice guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She did yeah. know that was Whitey Bulger in her house? Yeah. She knew. I didn't tell you that. No, I would want to know if, if she was aware that it was Whitey Bulger. No, she didn't know anything. <laughs> okay, so which is ironic. Know. Her grandfather, her grandfather was the head of the chief of police in San Francisco. They went crazy on me. Wow. But that's why she was able to get a federal restraining order on me where I couldn't see my kids. She brought all this because up. Because of the people that you were associating with. Yeah. So, anyway, that's, I mean, it's insane. But. Well, uh, we, we, we've been hearing a lot, but there's a lot more. Tell us about the Russians, Mike. <clears throat> this was a, um, a drug distribution ring in uh, South Florida on uh, Federal Highway at uh, two apartment complexes called the Tides, okay? Okay, when was this? Uh, uh, what's the shirt say? 2008. 2007, 2008. Wow. Half a belief shirt. Yeah. Okay, so who are you working for? What's that? Who are you working for? And yeah, that's a tough job too. Security in South Florida, you know, on the beach. Yeah, that's <laughs> tough. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> so, uh, but I was able to get the plate numbers and and, and uh, uh, develop a pattern on what they were doing, when, where, and how. They uh, went back to Manhattan one day and bought eleven Mercedes Benzes all around New York City, uh, and they were shipping them to Russia. So uh, that's how significant th this operation was with the Russians. Uh, what are you selling? 
What's that? Drugs, yes. They were dr selling heroin. Yes. You know, Mike, you should have told me they could have went to Germany and bought them cheaper. <laughs> They're buying Mercedes-Benz in New York. Are they nuts? They're not too bright this with their money. Kind of, this is what kind of cash they had, Johnny. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's how, you know, they put them in containers in the Port Nork, right? Shipped them back over. They were actually from Albania, those Russians. Uh -huh. So, um, well, how do you, you know, you, you're working undercover, take some time off, working undercover again, somebody else contacts you, you're working undercover again. How did they? How did they reach out to you? How did they know about you? How did they know where to find you? To well, I was always in the. I was always at the front desk in the building there, you know, because I used to work eight hours a day there at the security job. Okay, and then I would meet with the detectives uh, on and off in the parking garages there. There, so and uh, we would put tra trackers on the cars, and uh, that's how that all got developed. You know, uh, so. Uh, it, it was pretty you work, simple. You, you work What's that? Yourself, though. That's one of your keys to survival in this business, I would assume. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I got to do be by my, I don't trust other cops, put it that way, except for you, Pat. Uh, Thank you very much. I was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, so, that, that was it. Uh, you have some problems with the FBI. I know. First, there was the, the, the iPhone thing. No, but before you get to that, because our listeners, a, a case like that, what was that case worth? Let's have closure on that. Uh, what was that case worth at the end? What time? What at kind of time end, did they get? Uh, well, they, uh, due to the fact that they weren't citizens, they just got deported back to Albania, and they probably came back three weeks later under another name. And they had no it's seizure of any money or drugs or anything. They, they seized the condos they had in South Florida, but they were, you know, you're only talking about a million dollars in condos. Not a big deal. Wow. Well, do you think maybe if they would have waited a little longer for the evidence you, you, you were gathering, they could have had a stronger case and put these people away? Well, you know what happened, Pat? You had one federal agency stepping on another's toes there. I actually started working. I was connected to a guy uh, to the DEA first, okay, because it was drugs, okay? And uh, drugs are big in South Florida, okay? And then we became a terrorist type thing, and the FBI took it over, and then it just turned into a cluster, you know what? Yeah. So, Thank God they were so stupid. As far as operational it, expertise goes. Yeah, it just, it just bottomed out like usual. Um, and no disrespect to you, Pat, but the... These cops with these college degrees are dangerous. I'll keep that in mind. I'll, <laughs> I was going to go on another police department, but since you put it that way, no, I'm yes. just Yeah, no, they, they're dangerous people. They, you know, um, I was talking <laughs> to a friend of mine from NYPD last night, and due to the fact we both grew up in the neighborhoods, and we know the neighborhoods, and we know how to act, um, and we're stooping out in the head, we're stooping you know, so it's all good. I know, I know that uh, Fat Tony Salerno, who was the front boss of the Genovese family, correct? Yeah, uh, Giganti was the real boss. Right. Fat Tony was the front boss, yes. Okay, but it, it, explain to people what that means. Uh, uh, I, um, a decoy. That's all it is. A That's decoy. all it is. It's the same thing yeah, okay. with, the same thing with okay. a car in Chicago. People, people would want to know why somebody would become a decoy, a fake boss, so to speak, 
and, th and throw themselves on a sword for the real boss? Uh, because of the fact, Fat Tony loved the attention, right? That's right. And he never left that social club on, I think it was 112th Street or 119th. What's that? 119th Street. I go there every uh, day. The Palmer's Boys Club, right? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. uh, Rayo's is on 117th. Yeah, okay. And that's where your boy, that's where I ran into your boy uh, Sullivan uh, three times over the oh, years. Oh, Tell yeah. us Mad about Sullivan. Well, he's another likable guy. Uh, you know, he was comical. He was likable. I met him twice in Jersey and then once in New York City. I met him down at that uh, feast down in uh, Lower Manhattan, San, San Gennaro. Gennaro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so just so everybody's uh, clear, this was his first name was Mike, if I'm not mistaken. Joe. Joe Sullivan. Okay, but they called him Mad Dog, right? Yeah, Joe Joseph Mad Dog Sullivan. He's from Queens. Okay. Now tell us about his career and that how you got involved with him. He was a hitman. He was a hitman, and that's why he was coming over to Jersey City to meet with some top-level uh, Genovese guys. See, he worked for Fat Tony and other Genovese people, so they all used him. And he was pretty good at what he did. So, except for in the late 70s, he started to get all coked up, and uh, he started to lose control. Now, his biggest hit was um, Caponegro, Anthony Caponegro. Tony Bananas was the guy's street name. Right. He, he was the guy who executed Bruno, the boss of the, the Quiet Don of Philadelphia back yep. in 1980, okay? And he got called to New York. He thought he was going to be up to the boss's job, and that's when Mad Dog Sullivan whacked, they whacked right him right there. No. Yeah, he they lured him. him. Yeah. I remember all that. Yeah. Because that's when okay. Nicky Scarpo took over Philadelphia. Right. Yes. You got it. What, yeah. what, was, what was the famous quote in that hit? Oh, oh this is good. Um Yo, we're going to peel a banana tonight. Come on up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's how that's, that's so where classic. I, mean, that, well, that's, I tell you, uh, I only know him. He was interviewed shortly before he died uh, extensively on uh, on the History Channel. I tell you, for a guy who was had a, an extensive coke habit and ran himself into the ground and was in the can a long time before this interview happened, he looked like he was in pretty good shape. He was, uh, he was he was always athletic looking. He looked strong. Good looking guy. I mean, yeah. uh, didn't look his age. He was in the 70s when they did this interview. Uh, he didn't die too long ago, I think like two years ago. So, yeah, that's correct. But uh, how, did he get the, how did he get the name uh, Mad Dog? I don't know where he got that from. He got uh, that he, early he, on in the kid, as a kid in the neighborhood. He, Everybody had nicknames. I met him. How many hits to his credit? A lot, I would assume. What's that? How many hits? Oh, Law enforcement can account for eight of them, but that doesn't mean anything. Right, yeah. So he wasn't, obviously, he was Irish, and he, he wasn't in. Now, no, he, he was 110% Irish, yes. Yeah, yeah but the uh, the mob, is most people know it, and I know it, and they use their their, their own people the whack people. Why did they go to him? Well, no, no, but no, Pat. You, I'm surprised you said that. Look at look at Buddy Leahy, the Westies. Gambinos used them all the time. They always. Yes. You know that, Pat. This guy, this guy preceded the Westies by by a long time. I just figured that they would be uh, that they would use their own people for an in-family hit. I can see people outside like the Westies were used to kill other Irishmen. 
You know, uh, this guy was used to, to kill Italians, and it just seemed. Well, I have to correct you on that. I'm sorry, my friend. Yeah. The Gambinos yeah. used the Irishmen to kill Italians, especially right. uh, in other families. It's outside the family, That's and they it. can't come back at them. Can't come back at them. All right. Because, Pat, who's going to go look for an Irishman in Queens <laughs> when an Italian guy gets whacked in uh, Spanish Harlem there? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. What was the going rate back then for a, for a hit? I have no idea, you know. You know, well, the situation uh, was if you were with, like, like say, the Genovese's, give you 2500 2500 That's like uh, the rent for a month to park your car in Manhattan. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it, you, also, you also spoke about uh, you eventually had a pretty good relationship with uh, Tony Salerno. He invited you up to his. He had a house upstate, right? Uh, yeah, I can't think of the name. It was a horse farm. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a huge place. Had a horse track around the front yard there. Um, he he, he liked me because it again, was in Pennsylvania I, though. No, right across right no, across the bridge. It was upstate New York, up yeah. by Carmel, New York. Yeah. Up that by the by the water reservoirs for New York City. It was yeah. up there. He used so, to go to uh, every and, every every weekend and go up there. Yeah, he, you know, and he lived on, um, over there by where you said, by Pleasant Avenue, yeah. Rayo. Yep. He lived there during the week, and then he went home on the weekends. Right. So, uh, but he, he was a likable guy. He was a nice guy. I'd oh, sit there and guy. talk with him, you know. I knew him a long, long time, man. Well, you know why? When he when he had the Zig and Egg games at night, I was always running overnight loans to them, 5000 10000 because of because of Costello. And... Uh, I got to know him really well early on. That Tony Salerno with that cigar in he his mouth. He, 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 he. He's a, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, like I said, he was just a likable guy, uh, and he liked me because, you know, I was just there. And I, the only reason I wound up over there, I was driving the made guy from New Jersey over in his brand-new 86 uh, Caddy Seville, which I really liked. And uh, we dropped the money off the fat Tony. That's wow. Uh, he uh, he 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 was part of the uh, the uh, crew, crew that got got arrested on the Rico. He got a hundred years. He wound up dying in prison. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. So were you were you up there in the seventies and the eighties? I was up there in the eighties. Yeah. Eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, I, I was already out of there. I left after the Kennedy assassination. I didn't come back to New York. People don't know that. And, and with any association, after 62, 63, because I was just working uh, for a lot of other people out of here, not in New York anymore. Okay. Yeah. About, uh, there was a famous art theft. Uh, oh, this this the is interesting. Biggest, um, the biggest art theft. Uh, this was the Gardner Arts Museum heist in 1990 in Boston, where the thieves were dressed as Boston cops. Okay, they knock at the door, the guard opens, they rob the place. Okay, now the reason I got involved in that because I was walking in downtown Boca in um, 2012, 2013, somewhere right around there. Wow. And I 
and I'm looking at the pictures on the wall of Joey Merlino's restaurant he's about to open. And I said, those are the Gardner Arts Museum picture. Mike, Mike, you've got to understand that a lot of people don't know who these people are. Tell them who Joey Merlino was and how Joey you were. Joey Merlino, to this day, is still the boss of Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, he's the boss. And uh, Skinny Joey, they call him. Yeah. <clears throat> That's and a nice guy. Yeah, he was a likable little guy, too. He was, yeah. uh, you know, he... He, he really didn't like me too much, but, uh, you yeah, know, I don't blame him. So, I'm, I'm surprised you're alive if he really didn't like you. <laughs> he, um, you know, I called up this other guy, second in command, Anthony, and I said, Anthony, I'm looking at the paintings. And Anthony says to me, Mike, me and Joe Burke got those paintings. Says it's right on a federal phone. It was a, a special uh, hand, uh, you know, a right. wireless phone that was wiretapped. So I had to go wake the feds up after that conversation and say, you guys better review the tapes. And uh, something just happened here and those paintings may have just surfaced. And again, as always with the feds, it went nowhere. So That's wild. Nowhere. Well, this, was, it, this crime remains unsolved. $600 million reward, no questions asked right now. By the insurance company. Yeah. Uh, Six hundred million, no question asked. Jesus, I'm well, surprised I'm, somebody didn't give it up themselves, knowing where they were. What, what became of these uh, of these paintings, in, in your estimation? There was a made guy in Hartford. He's dead now. Um, uh, long story short, he was the last one to see them. Okay, and uh, he, he's he's dead and gone. Who knows where they, the feds dug up his front lawn up in Hartford. They, 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 you know, went through the walls of his house. No one can find anything. It was another uh, investigative nightmare that was a disaster. Well, I'll you... tell you, that shows how stupid the feds are. They're digging up a lawn for paintings. They would have to be in a controlled <laughs> temperature, locked up, yeah. not in a lawn. They'd be well, destroyed in 30 days. <laughs> you know, to do a theft like that, this is recognizable artwork worth hundreds of millions of dollars it, it, you can't pawn this stuff i mean you know it's got to be uh, stolen on order i would think that it would pull yeah a because the paintings they took were very they were one was a picasso another one was another famous one yeah but when and, you uh, want to get rid of stuff like that you have a buyer already for one or two the rest is gravy for you yeah you're you're correct you're right on the money I, uh, i've done it hello yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me these stories. Are you crazy? I worked with the Waterman Galleries in London. I'd ship stuff from Sotheby's or somebody here as a collector, and I had it sold already over there. And it never left the airport. It was grabbed at the airport in an armored truck going to Waterman Gallery. They knew when it was coming or not coming. Yep. The rest of me can give away, Pat. Didn't mean nothing. Looking at it from a law enforcement point of view, this is a really high-profile theft. Well, it was a robbery. Right. Yeah. Right, because there was force used, yeah. Right. Now, one of these paintings in 30 years, 30 Not years have surfaced. Not one. And they all went the to private collectors. And with all the geniuses at the federal level of law enforcement, um, how could this happen? Well, well that's I'm, talking, I'm talking to two cops, an FBI agent. Where's Jimmy Burke's money? <laughs> From the Lufthansa eyes. 
that's still out in Queens. I know. <laughs> I know who has it. <laughs> you know, I did a show uh, in 2011, AMC Mob Week, with the, the real Henry Hill. He was a likable guy, too. What a rat he is, period. I couldn't believe when, when Bobby De Niro was going to play him, because I, I, I used to go out with Kathy Burke, Jimmy Burke's daughter. He loved me. Yeah. And uh, when, when we found out about the Wiz, forget about this guy. And Henry Hill, forget it. They, they, yeah. Oh, Henry Hill gave us a, a blurb on Mike's book. Yeah, right. He oh, gave us a reference. That's perfect. Megan, do you know <laughs> any of these people who we're talking about, Megan? I guess. Some okay. names are familiar, especially the Philly guys, because I've heard stories from... Oh, yeah. You, you know, there was a there. story where my aunt was a nun back in the day, and I think she was a principal at a grade school, and she ended up... It was a grade school, I think. Kicked Joey Merlino out of the school. Like, there's stories <laughs> connected to them back in the day. So I do recognize some of the names, of oh, course, yeah. but... Joey's first crime. as much detail. That's funny. Hmm? Joey's first crime, getting kicked out of Catholic. <laughs> yeah, right? Kicked out of Catholic grade school. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of those guys get, did. <laughs> to get Henry Hill's uh, blurb for the book, Mike uh, Russell got a hold of him on his deathbed, and of course you have to get a genuine blurb. You can't you can't just plagiarize this double yeah. right. So he calls up uh, Henry Hill, gets a hold of his brother, and says, uh, you know, we'd like uh, Henry to read the book and, and give us a blurb. Uh, Henry Hill's brother hands the phone over to to Henry who can barely talk and utter two words. Good book. And that, <laughs> that's in the back of the book. Good book. And then he died. He died that day. Oh, that is fantastic. That's wild. But it's, it's an honest blurb because he, he never read the thing. Wow. Probably never read a book in his life. No, speaking of correct. the book, speaking of the book, when did you two get together to, to work on that? Well, it's, a, it's uh, another one of... Uh, you know, let me preface this. Mike and I have been friends for 10 years. We never met. What's the name of the Still book? So day? our listeners could buy it. It's, uh, well, it's, it's out of print, but there are copies available because there was a lot you of copies. You can still get it on Amazon this morning for $25, Johnny. Wow, that's good. It's called, yeah. this is a real tough title, Undercover Cop. I know you said that earlier, but for twenty five dollars, our book is only twenty nine now. It's only out two months, two years. Well, because, <laughs> because they're a rarity now. They've been out of print a while. I mean, this was uh, when was this, uh, Mike? Two thousand thirteen, right? Two thousand thirteen in August of two thousand thirteen when it came out. Yes. Wow. Anyway, uh, uh, Frank Wyman put us together, as I mentioned in last week's episode, uh, and Mike was living in, in Florida at the time. And I'm in Western Pennsylvania. This is a tough commute for the both of us. So we said, in fact, I think Mike's book may have been the first one I did over the phone. Uh, and yeah, it was. And I said, uh, So you've yeah. done that multiple times before, not just yes. the <laughs> I thought I, I thought I was new to that. No, no, you were about number four or five, Gianni. I forget, oh, I, my I, gosh. Uh, I said, I said to, you know, Mike, I said, why do you say we do this over the phone? He said, what, are you nuts? <laughs> I said, <laughs> We can do this. I said, let's get a schedule going. And, you know, the same thing Gianni and I did. We stuck the schedule and uh, we had a system going. And we were supposed to meet on a number of occasions. And we never met. It's to this day, we never met. You in, still in now haven't met? At least we met a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, we, we, you know, we, we talk all the time. Still. That's great. I mean, folks been out of print for like three years now, four years. But uh, he stays in touch. I stay in touch. 
Who owns the rights to it now? We do. It's us. They, they, they automatically revert. No, because, you know, the deal we're making now, yeah. it may be able to bring it in after ours is done. Yeah, after, after everything is, is uh, said and done with the sequels or the paperbacks or whatever, once everything is out of print, it, the, the rights with the 90% of the publishers automatically revert on their own. We don't have to do anything. Yeah, so, we got a letter uh, a couple of years ago saying the, re the all the rights came back to us. Yeah, they, I got yeah, that. They, yeah, they send you a letter. It's automatic. You don't even have to ask. Some publishers, a small percentage, maybe ten percent, you have to ask for your rights back, but they give them to you. And yeah, no, this came from what's whatever McNeil or something publishing or whatever that is. Yeah, well, it's like I said, it's automatic. And what's the purpose of this? Well, now you uh, you own your book again. In those years that it was being published. They owned it. Now it's right. yours. And you can you can self-publish it. No, you but can... not only that, I'm talking about as a TV show. That's... What about? Well, what we're doing with our book right now, they'd, they'd be open to hear another one. You just well, don't... we aren't going to get our rights back for a while because we keep on producing. Uh, we got a paperback coming out after that. Oh, I understand uh, that, but I'm talking about the fact that we're doing this with yeah. two major companies. Yeah. They've already asked me what else we have. Well, I read something from back in 2011 about how, Mike, you were approached by Steven Spielberg and DreamWorks about a production. What happened that, with that? That was, um, that was the page six on the New York Post. Yeah, that's why I headlined that. And I was under contract with them for 18 months, okay? And then I was with Robert Downey Jr. for two years. Hmm. And they actually wrote 10 episodes uh, there was a guy came out of New York City who's a good friend of mine, David Gambino, a great movie producer. Uh, he's in Hollywood now. And he uh, was, and then that deal never went anywhere. And just recently I was approached by Amazon Films and Apple TV, but I'm retired now. I, I don't want to go through that again, you know. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Coming? is very close to me. I gave him his first film, Chances Off. Who's that? Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Oh yeah, he, you know he 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 spent a lot of money putting oh. that together at the ten episodes. And oh, he, they, he's never got get... so much money now. Forget about it. And he has yeah. an output deal. That's yeah. the guy you'd so, want. You know. So I just <laughs> let you show up here, Johnny, with a million dollars in a cash bag. I'm I'm uh, I'm in then. You know what I mean, brother? <laughs> uh, that's cheap. Now we got his price, Pat. Million out, he's out like like Brando. Once he caps a million, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always there's a lot of false starts in this business. You know, particularly uh, Hollywood people, you're the, you're, you're the you know flavor of the week, and mm -hmm. then this covers up. I'll get back to you. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Oh yeah, don't. no, right, you're right. Well, with us, you know, we have an ongoing thing, Johnny and I. Well, I'm not only I've been lucky. I did 35 pieces, so. I got 200 yeah, hours of television, 35 movies, so. Uh, yeah, you, got, with Mike, it got really close. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but, you know, it, it comes and goes, but, again, you know, we, I, I, each day, one day at a time, forget about it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. One, I of, mean, one of the famous sayings from Newark, forget about it. <laughs> hey, Mike. Uh, yes, sir. First of all, that didn't come out of Newark, it came out of low New York, but uh, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. 68. God bless you. Good, good. Thanks. I got almost 10 years on you. 
Oh, all right. Well, you look good. It's a good. For a guy who lives in New York, you got a hell of a tan. Oh, I'm out. I'm out every day. Every okay. other day, do five, six. I did seven miles yesterday. That's good. That's oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Got to stay uh, fit. You know, for a guy that's, that's been out of it, as, as you say, you were recently involved, and we, we can talk about this because it didn't go anywhere, uh, the uh, MMA case in Boston. But you got me involved in this uh, about two years ago, if you recall. Yeah, and it, it didn't go anywhere. It was I can't think of that guy's name. Um, he... Uh, he had an odd name, and it was MMA guys. And uh, because I did a, a little bit of that my, in my day too, and I, I uh, trained in South Florida, but it was uh, I can't think of that guy's name honestly. Otherwise, I'd give it to you. But uh, he uh, it never went anywhere. And you know whether it was a lack of uh, law enforcement or criminal activity, I don't know what happened to it. Well, to tell to tell everybody what was going on. Uh, 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 the Albanians are big into mixed martial arts, apparently. And they right. Were using, and they were using gym, right? Yeah, and I was, uh, there was a, there's a former sergeant from NYPD, may he rest in peace, uh, Jimmy Bruno. Him and I were friendly in South Florida. You've seen the picture of me and Jimmy together. Yeah. And his, and his son, uh, he, he was a champion, a belt holder in that. So uh, I had a good in in that industry in South Florida at one time. Well, they got you. They were going to set you up. Well, they did set you up with a gym in, in, in uh, Boston with these guys. Yeah, we were gonna, we were gonna, we were gonna do that, but it, it all fell through. Nothing. You know, when you asked me to look into it, and, uh, and and I did, this thing had a had a terrorism angle involved. In this. Right. Anything with the Albanians is, is more terrorism or not, and secondary narcotics. Money from narcotics goes to terrorism. And and how come it died? Somebody lost interest. Uh, how about uh, zero uh, fed federal agents, zeros, you know? Yeah. They can't catch a cold, Pat. If anybody tells you you're under ind indictment or in investigation by the feds today, you can laugh them off. If you, you know, you're not, it's not going nowhere anymore. They have no budgets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got no brains. I wonder if the FBI is going to get funded. Uh, hmm. I, I don't know. It's... Uh, you know. Well, today, uh, today in Minneapolis, uh, the city council, 13 out of 16 uh, city council members voted to abolish the Minneapolis Police Department. We know how that's going to work out. Yeah, when back. Oh, my God. I mean, who's going to their plan is that they're going to have social agencies take over for the police, social, uh, religious and community workers. They'll have T's. Yeah, so the next time, didn't you guys have that in New York with Curtis Sweeva or whatever his name was? Oh, that uh, Curtis. No, the uh, what are the Guardian Angels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't Curtis. he take over? Uh, yeah. Upper Manhattan for a while. He took over yeah, nothing with his red coat and stupid uh, bright. Right, forget about this guy. You have to call a social worker. I mean, yeah. uh, kind of silly. I recall you telling me one story about after. Uh, Sammy the Bull got out. Uh, he did his five years. He went in the witness protection program. He was in. He was in the program before he outed himself at a restaurant in Arizona. Uh, a crew went down there to hit him. And you were telling me about who made this crew up. Recall that? Uh, no, no, That's no, I don't. There was a Newark police lieutenant involved. In this. I'd like to hear that story. 
That's when he was having the ecstasy ring in Phoenix. Yes, that's correct. He he was into ecstasy. Big and, time. Uh, His I, wife, I can't think of, kids, everybody got busted. I can't think of a cop's name. Um, okay, but you recall that uh, a member of the hit team was a Newark Police Department lieutenant. Yeah, but that's not uncommon over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I asked you before about the Newark PD. But they 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 broadcast this apparently. They got as far as Kansas, and they all got locked up, and they're all doing life. Are you kidding me? It's the same uh, with the, you remember going back to big Genovese bust in Jersey City with Bobby Lewis Manor, who was a good friend of mine. He was a sharp guy. He was with Bocce de Cessia, and all those guys were in the restaurant in Hoboken, and they were going to leave to go kill Gotti, and they got popped. You remember that? What what year was that? Yeah, what year that was in the late 80s. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Lewis Manor, he was a Genovese boss, and they were they were all twisted up about Gotti. And well, so they, yeah, they because left. he he did the hit on Paul and Tommy without any permission. Right. They so they were coming. Him. They were going to go whack Gotti, and they, you know, there was a listening device in uh, Manor's restaurant. And long story short, the minute they, they set out, they bagged him. And they had Bocce de Cessia, who was, he was their main shooter at the time. You got some great stories, Michael. I recall the story that you put in, uh, uh, that we put in the book. Uh, Bobby Lewis, uh, uh, Manor, uh, summoned you to a street corner somewhere in, uh, on the the fringes of, you're standing on the corner. Yeah. Looking for him, he didn't show up, and you're waiting, and he pops out of a car trunk. Yeah, he he was uh, he was another guy um, that was big on the decoys and all that stuff. You know, um, uh, things got tight over. They uh, there was a real good friend of mine who was a Genovese uh, captain, John DeGilio, who was a semi-pro boxer, and they whacked him, and they threw the body right in the front on the driveway at the Meadowlands racetrack uh, because John became self-employed and went wasn't kicking the money upstairs, but. Um, I guess they wanted to send a message. Yeah, they sent a message already. Everybody was didn't make the trifecta that night, so. Uh. <laughs> but uh, Manor was a bit. Manor was a bit paranoid. I mean, he actually you know, hit himself in the trunk like a giant. Yeah, yeah. You know who used to do that? There was another Genovese boss who got caught about five years ago, named Tino Fimera. He used to do the same thing. He used to ride around in the trunks of cars. Well, you know that's you know. interesting because if you knew it. Just full of trunk, full of bullets while he's in it. Done. See you yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. You could simplify everything. Yeah, yeah. And the gas tank will probably go too with it. Yeah, no he, evidence. Hello. I wish I would have known. That's an easy hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, we're coming to the end here. Let me ask you a, a final question, at least from me. Uh, what is your advice to uh, young people, male or female, whatever, considering police work in today's age? What would you tell them? Uh, sell used cars. <laughs> yeah. It's too dangerous yeah. now. Not the question even dangerous. It's, it's Nobody not likes dangerous. it. Did, hey, did you... Uh, never mind. I don't want to get into it. I don't want a Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. That never does any good. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh, it's just disgusting uh, to me what goes on today. So, No respect. Right. No respect at all. 
Well, Mike, we got to thank you, man. This has been two great episodes. And thank you, Johnny. I appreciate the chance. Thanks. Oh, no. We're, we're, yes, we're thanks so back. much for joining us. No, thank you, young lady. <laughs> All right. She's not that young, Mike. <laughs> 21's not young anymore. Hey, I'm not 21. <laughs> okay, Mike, uh, thank you so much. And uh, Hey, listen, you guys satisfied with what we did here? Of course. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? That's okay, fascinating. Good. No, we love it. All right, good. Thank you. Great combination of the two of the two people we have here with Pat and Gianni are a combination of the both with the law enforcement and the mob, and it was very, very fascinating. I would yeah. like to say uh, we shall meet again, but it should be we shall meet for the first time. There you go. <laughs> we'll, yeah, all yeah. we'll all meet you for the first time eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be back in Manhattan in a couple weeks. I only live on 57th Street, Johnny, so. Well, call me. I'm on 61st. Right. Yeah, Pat, Pat will text you my number, and Please. I'll call you when I'm in town. Yeah, come over I live for on dinner. the east side. I'm on, on the east side. Street. Street. I'm I'm on, on, that's three now. blocks, four blocks away from me. Okay. All right. Good deal, brother. You come for right. dinner. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thank, thank you for having thank me. Thank you, Mike. All right. All right. Bye. Good night. Good night. It's time for the mailbag. All right. Let's get to it. So first I want to share a message that we received over Instagram from Fiona. Fiona says, Hi Gianni, I just wanted to say that I started listening to your podcast with your friends Pat and Megan. Truly amazing and funny. You're a wonderful storyteller and what a joy it is to listen to you take a walk down memory lane. Great. Well, thank How nice you. is that? That's so good. thank you, Fiona. All right, next is from Mitchell. Mitchell says, Patrick, what can you tell us about NYPD detectives Bert Kaplan, Stephen Caracappa, and Lou Epolito, who were associated with Gaspipe Casso, an associate of the Lucchese family? I guess you missed that show, Pat. I know, right? <laughs> Bert Kaplan was, was not a cop. Bert Kaplan was a Jewish gangster uh, known in NYPD parlance as a KG, a known gambler. But... Uh, a very, very tough guy. I didn't know him. I just know of him. Uh, he held the key to the Caracapa, uh, 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 the other guy, I forget it. What was his name? Apolito. Apolito. Luke Apolito, uh, who just died, by the way. Uh, he held the key to, to their case. and they, they were tremendously corrupt cops. They were actually killing people for uh, Anthony Castle. They were on a path for $4,000 a month. And every now and then, Castle would throw them an extra seventy, a hundred thousand. They were actually whacking people. But Kaplan would not talk. And he uh, he went to prison, and they figured after a while, he was, he was in the late 60s when he went. He kept his mouth shut until uh, one day the uh, interrogating officer got to him, made him cry about his family, and he flipped. And the rest is history. He testified against Epolito and Caracapa. They did a life. They're both dead now. They both died in prison. Megan, uh, what episode is that? We have that whole thing. We can't oh, I had it had to be in, in, in the yeah. 20s somewhere. I say it would have been, the title would have been Mob Cops, right? Mafia Cops? Mafia, Mafia Cops. Yeah. Well, you can reference that episode. Yeah, reference Mafia Cops. Yeah, but uh, Kaplan, in fact, uh, uh, Jimmy Breslin wrote a book about Kaplan. Uh, I forget hmm. what the name is. But it was just about Kaplan and how he came up through the mob and, and how he was key in convicting the mafia cops. I put an old man then. This was in the, this was in the late 80s. He has to be dead by now. Okay. All right. Next one is from Giuseppe. 
Hey guys, I love the show. My grandfather and I are huge Godfather fans and listen to Hollywood Godfather together as often as we can. My grandparents grew up in Harlem in the 50s and 60s and have told me some interesting mob stories related to the area during that time. Gianni, do you have any mob stories about this specific area or have any recollection of gangsters like Fat Tony Salerno? We were talking about him with Mike. <laughs> Chin Giganti and Bumpy Johnson during this time. I know every one of them and listen to our shows. We bring them up all the time. So you and your grandfather, tune in and you're going to hear a lot. Like we just did a whole thing about Fat Tony yeah, Salerno. They can go to the website to see a list of all the shows. Yeah. And, uh, they can pick and choose. Uh, Bumpy Johnson, uh, uh, he was a black uh, numbers guy. Right. He introduced to Harlem, and he worked with the Italians. Not very closely. They were always at odds over something, but they, you know, the bottom well, the, line... The, is, the Italians took the numbers business from them. They, well, they, they were making money together. Then right. Bumpy died of a heart attack in 65. Right. So after that, it was open territory, and the Italians took right. it over. Hmm. All right, next is from Daniel. Patrick, as a Vietnam vet, what is your favorite movie movie about Vietnam? What movies generally get it right and which are wildly wrong? Uh, well, Platoon, I'll start off with one that didn't get it right. Uh, uh, Platoon won the uh, Academy Award, I believe, in 86 for Best Picture. That wasn't accurate at all. I thought the most accurate movie was a movie with Mel Gibson about probably 2004, 2005, called we were soldiers. Based on a book called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And it was a true story of the first major battle of the Vietnam War, the Battle of the Idrang Valley in 1965, which turned the Vietnam War into a conventional war. Up until then, it was uh, jungle warfare, guerrilla fighting. Uh, this, uh, this unit fought uh, a major North Vietnamese division in uh, the Idrang Valley, which is central Vietnam, but I think that was the most uh, accurate that I've seen in the fall of Vietnam movies. It's, it's out there, so it's on cable, you can find it on uh, uh, Netflix, probably uh, Prime Audio, a video rather. Alright, so next one is from Oliver. Oliver says, I really love your show. I'm 36 years old and from Estonia. I have a lot of questions for Gianni and Pat and will be asking them as I go along. Gianni, I heard you on a podcast from 1995 where you said that you were not allowed to publish your book. Mob guys just wouldn't allow it. What's the difference now? Who has since passed away? They all died. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't. Answered. I didn't glad I didn't publish it then, because Pat wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have met Pat, and we wouldn't have the book we have because of waiting. And we, you know, collaborated, and we have a, an amazing book. Fortunately. Things come to those who wait. I just made that up. That's right. I heard that. I thought I heard so it. So original of you. I'm a writer. I, I can make shit up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Next one is from Thomas. Patrick, you had mentioned before that you worked security for Yoko Ono. What was she like to spend time with? I'm very curious. A very nice lady. Uh, she treated us extremely well. Uh, there was a uh, I was involved with a company that uh, provided security for her after John Lennon got killed. She lived on the eighth floor of the Dakota Apartments on the west side of Manhattan, which is a famous old uh, uh, old building. In fact, uh, Rosemary's Baby was filmed in the Dakota. Mm -hmm. 
uh, goes back to the 1850s, and uh, she had the entire eighth floor. What kind of a person other than very, very nice? She was kind, a little bit uh, eccentric. You think? Uh, <laughs> of course, you can go crazy when you're rich. You're called eccentric, you know. So uh, yeah, right. When you're creative, very, she, she I, see that, build, I see that building every other day. It's so funny. Her son Sean, who was like eight years old at the time, he was crazy about us because you know we were like temporary father figures, I guess. And, oh. very, That's great. Very nice. I mean. Uh, I, I remember once uh, we were talking about not being able to work out because all the cops, off-duty cops that had her security, we're always in, in good shape. We like to go to the gym, and we would spend a lot of time with her. In fact, I, one year I took my entire six-week vacation and spent it in that apartment, never leaving. Wow. About, and the windows were all blacked out, by the way. Right. Uh, because mm. the park was across the street, and we figured maybe somebody could take a shot at her from a tree or something. So we had all the windows blacked out, but we were complaining about lack of gym equipment or, or lack of being able to get to a gym. She bought us all kinds of gym stuff. She was just oh. great. That's great. Still around. She's in her 80s now. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I've had contact with her since the, the early 80s. I, did, I worked there for a few years and elsewhere. Very sweet. All right, next is from Brent. Gianni, I've seen advertisements for your live performances and have come to understand that you tell stories while incorporating song. How did you go about choosing the songs you would include? Did you write the script yourself or did you have any assistance? I actually wrote the script for the show myself, but it's basically all the chapters in our book. I couldn't do the whole book, but I picked out certain ones and the songs were very easy because my grandmother loved Perry Como so I do his theme song. I do a Sinatra thing. I, I mean, the songs came along chronologically as I experienced life with all these performers. And, uh, you know, theme from The Godfather, that's easy to figure out how I do that. And my <laughs> way, I change the lyrics of my way at the end because my end's not near. Thank you. <laughs> hmm, thank you and good night. Yeah. That's great. It's a great show, I have to say. Hopefully that can get back on, well, that's the, why you saw that on the road soon. I did. Next one is from Don. Don says, Patrick, I very much trust your opinion on this topic. That being said, what is currently your favorite crime or police procedural television show? Well, uh, you know, when you're involved in something for so long and you know how things actually work, uh, police work, uh, police shows can't be uh, accurate because of time constraints. That's and, and I don't particularly uh, look at them as accurate. Uh, I look at them: are they good drama? Are they good stories, or are they not? And what I like uh, probably of the current crop is Blue Bloods, uh, because of the stories, the the acting, the, the family values that they instill within the series. I, I enjoy it. I've seen every episode. It's been on, I can't believe this thing's been on 11 seasons. Or yeah, I love the show myself. Yes, it's a great show. Yeah. And that's that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Good. Uh, sounds good. All right. Next one is from Lynn. Lynn says, Johnny, besides the obvious choice of Marlon Brando, what actor would you say you were most influenced by? Did you watch a lot of films when you were growing up? Not really. Um, I, I got influenced by the actors I had the privilege of working with. Tony Curtis, uh, Pacino two or three times. I mean, these guys are real thespians. 
I like Tony Curtis because he has a very carefree way of life. And when we did Lepke, we were really together for three or four months every day. And uh, I was very impressed by, he was a song and dance man, he, was, he did it all. And, and Dean Martin, that whole crew were all actors, singers. So that Rat Pack, they impressed me of their talent in the crossovers. Great. All right, next one is from Jim. Jim says, Patrick, who would you say would be your favorite Godfather character? I'm thinking this Carla Rizzi guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if you didn't know him, who else? <laughs> okay, okay. If I didn't, uh, if I didn't know, I would think Michael because of his growth and the way he changes during the movie. Oh yeah, it was amazing. It's uh, the, the 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 transformation from uh, a former Marine just getting out of the army with the uh, wide eyes look toward the future and legitimate business to becoming what he did takes great range yeah uh, great. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree with that Gianni I mean I you, totally you were there. agree with that I mean kid is a genius and I've yeah, had the pleasure like uh, I said it's, it's, any given it's got, Sunday it's, it's, so many it's, it's got to it's got to be Michael yeah I agree I would agree with that as well all right so next one is from Dina Gianni, I recently watched a documentary about Natalie Wood. Did you ever have the chance of meeting her? If so, what was she like? How about her husbands, Robert Wagner or Richard Gregson? I love I love Natalie Wood. I, I got to know AJ, as he wanted to be called. I don't know where he got that from, but... Uh, who? Um, the guy I know who killed him. <laughs> killed Robert him. Wagner? Yeah. RJ, rather. He wanted to be called RJ, Robert Wagner. Oh, yeah. I don't know why the J, though. But that's Jerry. What, maybe. But he got very close to Sinatra. I don't know if you know that. No. And Sinatra had him around all the time, with Natalie and all. And even after she died. But uh, what, 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 what kind of person was she? She was, a, I mean, she reminded me a lot of Liza Minnelli now. You know, she had that, you know, I don't know what was about her. She was in and out of... I, I don't know if she was on drugs, but I think she was. Big party girl. Hmm. Okay, uh, we're calling AJ again. Are we? <laughs> All right, don't worry about it. Let's keep going. All right, look, let, let's keep going until he answers, which he probably won't do. Okay. Well, that's it. <laughs> well, that's okay. it. That's, that's the mailbag? That right. was it for tonight's mailbag. Well, All right, well, let's go Let's go into week two uh, before well, something let's, else catches Let's close this cap. thing out first, Pat. Pat, let me, end, let me end the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's been well, a while. That's Mailbag. So I want to thank all of you again. We need reviews. We need you to tune in. We need you to tell your friends. We're growing by leaps and bounds, but not enough. So until next week, please tell your friends and family. We all love you. Good night. Mike, Mick, Mick Pat. Oh, Mike. Mike is gone. Everybody Pat. good night. <laughs> no, Mike, uh, Mike just night. left the show. That's right. I, I thought he was good still night, listening. Everybody. Good night, Pat. Good night, Megan, my love. Good night. We'll see you all next week. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around.
Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. Hi, I'm Patrick Picciarelli, co-host of the Hollywood Godfather podcast, private investigator, and co-author of Hollywood Godfather, My Life in the Movies and the Mob. How much do you think you know about the infamous Son of Sam serial killings? Or think you know? My new crime novel, Blood Shot Eyes, is a fictionalized version of my real-life private investigation of the Son of Sam case. In this gripping account, based on fact, Private investigator Ray Yale finds himself immersed in this infamous case years after it was supposedly solved by the NYPD and the killer sent to prison for life. Yale uncovers facts which involve a celebrity's involvement and unleash a killer hell-bent on remaining a free man. A psychopathic policewoman, a small-time thief, and a police department cover-up add up to a page-turner of unrelenting suspense. Bloodshot eyes, is available exclusively on Amazon.com.